This podcast is brought to you by Anchor Podcasts. Have you yourself ever wanted to be a podcaster? Well, Anchor makes it simple and easy for you to start today. Download their app on your iPhone or Android device and go through their step-by-step process from recording all the way through distribution. Visit their website, anchor.fm, or download the app on your Android or iPhone device today. That's Anchor Podcast. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? This is Travis Fowler, Harp Rider with 4CP, and I am here doing my very first interview. And with me today is the current reigning WFC Hometown Heroes Champion, a man that I've actually gotten to know over the last couple of years now. He actually runs the WA Dojo out here in Tulsa. Hunger Dojo, yeah. There it is, Hunger Dojo. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the very first guest to the 4CP interview, Mr. Justin Lee. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much for doing this. It's an honor to be the first. Always an honor to be the first when you're talking with me, right? Yes. That's how we roll. Yes, announcer Jesus. (laughs) It's the savior of commentary. The savior, well, okay, okay. But hey, we're not going to keep this about me because obviously I wanted to. Well, we can talk about you a little because here's the thing. Like when I met you, the first time I met you was, okay, so my backstory is I started in 2001, wrestled pretty consistently until about 2014, and then I retired. I essentially, I'd started a company I, I outside. I was making money. I was like, well, why work for $5 paydays when you're working for $500 and working for yourself, you know, so. But as everybody does, you get the bug, you start thinking, maybe one more, maybe one more. So my one more comes at the end of 2019, uh, 2020, I guess, because um, it's it's COVID time. Right, yeah, right. We're, we're starting to get out of COVID. They're starting to put on indie shows again. During COVID, I got a lot of downtime. I think I'll start watching old videos, thinking I could do one more, I could do one more. So Tim uh, Rockwell puts, you know, works something out where, so I'm doing one more. And then you end up being the commentator during that match. Right, right. Now, when I left wrestling in 2014, we did not have fancy TV or anything like that. We didn't really have any commentators. So, like, that my, was too high tech back then. It was. Well, you know, no, I mean, it cost a lot. You know, we were just weren't wrestling for the live crowd. That right, was it. You know right. what? There was no, you know, oh, this is going to be on the internet show later or anything like that. So, Travis is, you know, I, I look at him. I was like, okay, what's this guy's background? What's, you know, he's got an interesting look. Burnham's the other commentator. I know Burnham. So, I'm like, all right, well, at least Burnham won't suck. But then I go back and watch it with with his commentary. His commentary was good. Like, it added a layer. I remember seeking you out after that going, you know, like, I didn't expect much of you because I didn't know who you were. You know, I thought, you know, who's this Mark? And it turns out his commentary really added that layer that made me enjoy the match more when I watched you back. So you actually, that is my first experience with Travis. Um, and then you start, I stuck around for three years now. And yeah. you start call, <laughs> calling some more of my matches. Well, that took a turn that actually I did not even anticipate. I appreciate all the kind words. I was more so going to operate the vehicle for you to lead into, like, when did you start training? He kind of took over there for Well, you know, I mean. Why are you taking over my own Like, everybody, everybody, it's like watching the comic movie. Every secret origin, it's the same thing. Sure, sure. Oh, I like wrestling. I signed up for a class. Oh, I did this, I did that. Right, right. I mean, you know, who wants to see that? I mean, I mean, people are just sometimes interested. Did you do the backyard style thing? I did. Okay, so. No, okay. Funny, you should ask that. So, 
in the '90s, oh. backyard wrestling was becoming a thing, right? You could literally—they'd have the infomercials. infomercials. Yes, back, the best of backyard wrestling. And I'm on one of those, by the way. Are you really? Uh, yeah. Um, okay, but we're gonna need to talk afterwards. So, I need to see so, this video. <laughs> so I, I there's this thing back in the '90s. You'd start websites through these companies called GeoCities, yes. things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it, these are pretty. You know, so I took an HTML class in junior high, so I kind of knew how to put a website together. Which, believe it or not, was a thing that was hard to do in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Not anybody could just do it. You know, like putting a website together gave you special talents and like skills. Like GoDaddy.com didn't and, exist back then. Believe it or not, I probably wouldn't have been a wrestler like I am had I not learned that skill. Yeah, yeah. Um, I learned how to do this. I put a little website together. So me and my buddies, you know, we like Raw. It's, you know, 1997, 98. You know, everybody's into WCW, you know, Monday Night Wars. We, uh, we're big fans, but I'm kind of one of those OCD people, right? Yes. I can't just enjoy something. No, you have to nitpick it. I'm well, no, saying, I, I have to be part of it. Well, you know, you know yeah. what I mean by that. It's, it's like you've got to have your fingerprints oh, on yeah. it because you want to make sure it comes off right. very well. By the way, guys, if y'all hear some extra audio, don't mean to cut we're you. We're at backstage at Yeah, show. yeah. So never mind the audio. Hopefully these mics pick up most of it and drown that out. Anyways, continue. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a little OCD. So like, I can't just enjoy something as a fan. Now i got to understand how it works. i got to break it down. i got to be part of it. i got to make it better somehow. And so we start doing backyard wrestling. But I don't just, you know, like you see most backyard wrestling videos, it's kids on trampolines. No, no, no. Right. I build a ring in my backyard. Like from scratch. The like, like from wood, metal, yes. Wood. Wood metal would spend wow. spend $1,000 on it, right? That was my senior trip money I basically spent on this wow. thing. Wow. Uh, skip my senior trip. Um, I, I put together a nice professional ring. You know, we got these. It, it looks cool. Yeah. And, I give it every, and I'm and i running this like a real wrestling show. I got a run sheet. I got times. I got a camera. We have... And so like, people would come to my backyard, they go, this is not what I was expecting. This is different. We started building up a fan following. People started buying our videos online because I got this website. I'm selling videos. I'm actually making money. Uh, yeah, you're, you're making a hand over fist, uh, it sounds like. Just I doing mean, everything yourself still? Maxim Magazine calls me. They want to do a story on backyard wrestling. They come to my backyard and do this whole story on backyard wrestling. Really? Uh, 104.5 The Edge, local radio station. They start... Hey, can we come out and you know, do some stuff from you guys? And so we, we uh, Channel 8, uh, they're like, oh, can we, you know, we want to do a story on backyard wrestling. So they do this story on backyard And of course, it's real salacious. Right. And like, oh my God, these kids are trying to do it. But, you know, we're like, hey, any publicity was good publicity. Oh, yeah. So we do all this. And that's how we actually get into wrestling. Wrestling, because the local wrestling promotion at the time was kind of going through a dry where there was, you know, the fans had kind of died off a little after their big angles they blew off. And so they're looking for something. They hear that I'm drawing 50 people to come to my shows. I think, well, hey, if we get him and some of his friends come wrestle on our show, that's a good deal. 50 tickets sold, yeah. you know. I mean, hey, why not? So that's how I ended up getting into wrestling. Um, and then the guy who was running the company at the time, Rocco Valentino, he had a side business. He sees that I have a website where I do this stuff that I'm selling, my you know, all this stuff. And he says, hey, I run a company and I need a website. Can you build this for me? Right. I was like, I, I mean, I've never built one for a professional company, but okay, I can try, and I do. And did they he, pay you for it? Well, he wiped away my wrestling school debts. Ah, it was okay. two thousand so dollars to go to. Yeah, yeah, I get you. And not only that, now I'm running this guy's website. Who do you think's gonna? He's gonna push. You know, I mean, I'm helping this guy out. Right. So with, without having learned how to do that, maybe I never get to the level I'm at. You know, because I enjoyed a tremendous amount of success yeah. when I first started. I, I didn't lose a match for. Forever. I, think I, want, I remember you telling me about yeah. this on one of the first conversations we had. I want a title in my first match. Yeah. That, I mean, they, nobody does that. They gave you the Santino push before Santino it, existed. Well, and this is like, you got to remember, like, people forget there was a time before the internet. Right. And what I mean before the internet is 
the magic wasn't ruined. Nobody had a nobody had a phone that you could access the internet until probably two thousand four. Yeah. Uh, 03, 04, maybe, I don't know. But, but like, nobody was walking around with the internet in their pockets. Right. So, this is back in the, you know, old school wrestling was still a thing. Mm-hmm. There was still a lot of kayfabe. And so, I remember, like, my first month in the business, I'm, I'm winning a title. Um, Channel 8, or, or not Channel 8, uh, uh, Tulsa World comes out, does a story on me for their Broken Arrow people section. Because uh, you're the Broken Arrow bad boy. I'm so the Broken Arrow bad boy, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, the, and then, on top of that... The, Third show I'm on, Kurt Hennig's backstage. Oh, right. Okay. So I'm just sitting here hanging out with Kurt Hennig backstage, and I'm thinking to myself, I mean, this is my trajectory. How, I mean, how, I mean, I'm, I'm, I haven't even done anything yet, and look how famous and big I am. I'm getting. Uh, I just assumed I was a superstar at that point. Right. Right. And it was all downhill from there. I think that was going to lead into my next question because, guys, part of what we're doing on these interviews is I'm learning stories, kind of like you're learning stories. I like to have just a conversation. Because me and you have had several conversations, but it's been mainly sure. shared around like what we've liked about wrestling, yeah, yeah, specific, yeah. like the mainstream wrestling, WCW. Yeah, our, our takes on what the things right, that happened. Right, yeah. but me, I'm learning some of these stories just for the first time, and it's amazing. Yeah, I got a lot I of like stories. Stuff. <laughs> well, so, 23 years, I got some stories. You've got a lot of stories, I'm sure. Here's See, the next dangerous. question, though, with like you were alluding to just then it all started to kind of go downhill. What happened that made it really start feeling like this is where I was going, and now I'm kind of going back down. Well, okay, so, you know, indie wrestling, especially at that time, you know, it, it's a lot of work to promote a show because you don't really have the internet to promote for you, right? right? So it's all word of mouth. It's all, you know, hope you hang a poster and somebody finds out about it. But the only way you could really build a crowd was by consistently being in the same places at the same times. Mm-hmm. You know, so it had to be every Saturday night at the same place, and that's the only way you could really build a crowd. Right. And, and each show had to be good enough to keep everybody who came coming and them invite a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were going through kind of a downspell. Uh, this thing about WCWWF merge around 01. 2001. March yeah. 2001. Yeah. Yeah. So, which really people don't understand. It sounds, oh, that was cool. No, WCW went out of business because business was going down. Yes. Um, and so even though WWF was still doing fine, there's less product, less interest. If, if there had been more interest, WWE would have still been in business. And I think I would agree, and that's something I think you and I have touched yeah. on just a little bit, is that the reason WCW died off amongst the number of reasons, the AOL, Time Warner merger. It was a big reason, yeah. Everything else that we've heard. But ECW about, dies, yes, yeah. Yes, ECW goes bankrupt. WCW gets bought out. Yeah. So to set the scene, 2001, we're back to really only one game in town. Yeah, it's a dark time in wrestling. I yeah, mean, absolutely. It, it, and that carries, you know, it, it's one of those weird things. Um, whether you like WWF or WCW or the product AEW that they're offering at that time, it's good when there's a lot of people who do like it. Yes. Because the better they do, the better you do at a smaller level. That trickles downhill. So when one of them starts doing bad, companies start going out of business, mm-hmm. that trickles downhill too. Other companies, you know, there's less interest, less publicity, less, it's not the cool thing to do anymore. Right, right. Uh, so. I went through a few years of just really dark times in wrestling where we were struggling to put butts in the seats. Right. Um, and because, like I said, you just didn't, internet wasn't a thing. People weren't, you know, like I said, it would be three or four years before everybody had an internet accessible phone. Right. Um, so it just wasn't a thing. People didn't sit around at keyboards and, and do wrestling. Um, and again, I, I was setting up rings by myself some nights. You know, we were wrestling in front of eight people some nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those dark times, it, it molded me. It made me better at what I did because I realized if there was only going to be eight people in that crowd, I was going to give those eight people the best wrestling match they ever saw because the only hope I had 
was that those eight people came back with eight you know friends right, right. and that, that that was the only way i could grow so i had to make sure i was good at what i did and so i would literally set up rings sometimes just to train and then tear them down the same night wow uh it, it, you know and that's it, a process it was it wasn't and so what you know people talk about oh justin you, you set up and tear down rings now i was like trust me I set up and tear down rings when I was the only one, so, or two guys, you know, I'd grab somebody out of the crowd and say, I'll teach you how to wrestle, you know, if we can get this ring up. And so some kid, I would, te- you know, I would teach him how to wrestle that, you know, yeah. I was like, hey, if you, you know, you want to come learn how to wrestle and run around in my ring, fine, help me set this thing up tonight. And we did a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we wrestled everywhere, church shows, you know, blah, blah. Uh, then it kind of started to pick back up again, 04, uh, 05, wrestling starts to get a little bit hot again. The internet kind of makes it cool again. Attitude era, or it was over, but you had now the, the ruthless aggression eras. Were That's kinda, what they pretty much coined it now. Yeah, yeah, you kind of start getting into that era of wrestling. And for me, that was good because now we'd start seeing more fans at the shows. But at that point, the company I'd been working for, the promoter kind of is like, hey, we carried it this far, but I'm kind of ready to do something else with my life. Luckily, there were some other feds popping up around that time. Uh, then I get an opportunity to the NWA. Oh, wow. Uh, this not, is before they not the rap it. group. <laughs> well, I don't think you'd fit in for other reasons. I've got attitude. I mean, you're yes. not from California. Yes, I that's what I meant. Yes, what yes, think yes. Meant? <laughs> uh, no, no. So yeah, NWA. They, there was an Oklahoma thing, and you know they they brought me in, and I, and I got to you know I was working with guys like Christopher Daniels and what year know, was this around? Ah, uh, God, oh four or five. So this was like obviously this was NWA well out of its prominence, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't not like what we've yeah, seen in the last it, few years. It wasn't Tim Storm. The, yeah, the reemergence. Well, it's funny you said Tim Storm was there. Slam oh, shit. Wow. Yeah, you know, you know, of course Tim, Tim Storm was fifty. You know, so this right, right. this is back when he was kind of more towards his prime. Right. But yeah, there was a you know every locker room I was in there was there was names. Yes, and it felt cool. You know, I got to work some names. Um, and. You know, just with anything, it sort of then it starts to kind of die off again. So you know, there was this constant back and forth in wrestling. You know, you you go through a hot time, downtime, hot. You know, that we call it the cyclical business. Um, and so, like I said, around '08, I would say I was at my peak. Yeah. Um, where I had really honed my craft and my character. So I'm going back to uh, those shows. You know, where I was struggling, I was learning so much. Yeah. Um, that by this point in time, I knew how to work a crowd. I'd seen so many good guys doing it. I'd kind of, I'd gotten to the point where honestly, I I never got nervous anymore. There was ah. there was no nervousness to anything I did anymore. Which, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong here, when you reach that level, you're kind of also getting to the burnout point because it's not as fun. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. The, the the challenge, you know, to 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 recycle, repackage the same thing over and over again. Um, you know, but I was I was over with the crowd, and you know. Shortly thereafter, I get my tryout with the WWF, uh, and it just became very clear. Yeah. They weren't interested in me. Mm. Um, and so you start asking, well, what am I doing? There wasn't really any other game in town. There's NWA, TNA. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're like, okay, if WWE's not interested in me, then where am I, why am I still doing this every Saturday night? Why am I not investing in something else to do on a Saturday night? So that kind of quickly led to the end I, I did i took my one shot at promoting mm-hmm. i did a promoted a card at in bartlesville where I, I was working at the time uh we promoted a bartlesville brawl i brought in a lot of guys i'd known throughout my career called in some favors for many of them it was their last ever show too right um and so we, we promote this card it does okay um and then after that i was kind of like okay i've kind of done everything mm-hmm. i'm done so I, me and Max McGurk, we, we were uh, best friends. Uh, if you guys know, Max McGurk's mom was Mike McGurk, the WWF ring announcer, and then his granddad 
was Leroy McGurk, who actually basically started Oklahoma wrestling in this territory back in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Wow. Um, he, he was the promoter until Cowboy Bill Watts basically cheated him out of his company. Oh. Oh, very mafioso style. Like, uh, I, I talked to Max's mom about it, and it's like, so Leroy had gone blind. Oh, okay. Two separate accidents blinded both of his eyes, mm -hmm. which is wild because you think about, like, the odds of getting one eye blind in an accident where to get two eyes blinded on two separate occasions. <laughs> wow. So he, and the crazy thing is he was still doing commentary for the TV show. Oh, we don't. And he was blind. That's insane. You know, uh, so, a, doing commentary is not easy, especially yeah. if you're doing like, yeah. now what do you Now, what do you, you call it? Right, right? What, what do you call it? Yeah. Well, you didn't see what they did. <laughs> so it was interesting to hear all that. Um, but, you know, so he agreed. He was getting old. He wanted to sell the t territory to Leroy. Or Leroy wanted to sell to um, Cowboy, Bill Watts. Well, Bill Watts kind of came in and, you know, he was getting ready to buy it, so everything was kind of being handed over to him. And at some point, he just said, well, I'm basically running this thing, and I haven't paid you yet. I'm not going to pay you. Oh, wow. And what are you going to do? The TV stations already know that I'm in charge, so I'm the one in charge of TV. All the contracts, all the buildings, they know I'm in charge. So I've been running this thing for you for a year. I'm just going to take over it. And Basically, you're strong out. on your work. Yeah, you're out. And Leroy couldn't do anything. So, you, you, can't, you know, it's one of those terrible stories about Cowboy Bill Watts. But it's crazy how much that kind of stuff happened back in the day. Yeah. Oklahoma wrestling's got a fascinating history. If you ever like really deep dive into some of that stuff that went down like that. Well, if we do a part two of this, we might need to do that. It seems like you've got all the knowledge. Oh, yeah, we have. I made myself a student of the game. You know, so I, <laughs> I told you, I, when I do something, I get obsessed with it. I got to understand the intricacies. I got to write it out. So like my, my very analytical brain, is, yeah. it, in some ways, is beneficial to me. The problem is with an analytical brain in wrestling is it's still a performance art. So you need more of an artistic side of your brain mm -hmm. it's like it's like trying to take a, a van gogh painting or a, you know whatever a da vinci and somehow mathematically break down how it's good yeah you know sometimes that works sometimes you can't sometimes you just have to have an artistic brain to understand that so wrestling you really need both sides of that brain right you get these free-spirited guys who are such wonderful characters but sometimes they don't understand the business side of business and i think i can relate to that on the commentary aspect strictly just because Kind of like you to a certain degree where you said you become obsessed with something. I can recall for myself, especially in my early teen years before I started hitting about 15, 16, you know, getting into the freshman, sophomore year of high school. Before that, I was obsessed with wrestling. I, all, I didn't yep. miss a show. I can remember around the 13, 14 age, I got invited to go out somewhere, maybe just, just to see a movie. And it was on a Friday night and I refused to go because SmackDown was on. So like... I get that because I also feel like that along with like playing the video games with the group of friends that I did, we would turn down the volume on the TV or even back then when they were call your own yeah, stuff. Like, yeah, there was yeah. no commentary on like those N64 games and whatnot or the commentary like on uh, Just Bring It was absolutely atrocious because they're just recycling the same thing. Yeah, for just each five lesson. lines that they pop out. Yeah, so it was fun to kind of do your own commentary and, and to the same degree, like you said, on the art form of it, you got to be creative plus add a bit of a character which is where it comes in together. You got to be, you got to be quick with your words, quick on your toes, and you still have to tell that story at least from the commentary aspect with your words and put the words to what you see in the ring. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things that I think that helped make me better. But just watching TV, listening to how commentary goes, at least on the WWE side of things, and then later on TNA became a thing, and then rewatching old footage. And that's the thing, like I said, I always wanted to. If I like something, I'm interested in something, I have to understand how it works. Right, right. You know, I, I, I'd probably been good at engineering if I'd been better at math, you know, like taking something apart to see how it works kind of thing. 
So, uh, you know, you, you talk about something like commentary. Well, if you told me I was going to be a commentator next week, the first thing I would start doing is I'd start watching, you know, good commentators. I'm like, okay, how long does he wait? You know, how many beats does he wait? Okay, you know, what does he talk about this? What does he talk about? And I would start trying to find, figure out a formula for how to be a good commentator. Right. As opposed to just, I'm just going to go out there and feel it or, or whatever it is. And so, like I said, in some ways that can be good in wrestling, but in some ways that can be bad. Right. Because, again, the more you're thinking about it, the less you're in the moment, the less you're expressing yourself. You know, it, you talk about, do, I always tell my, my students when I'm teaching them how to cut a promo. Mm -hmm. Okay. The most important thing is you got to talk about who, what, where, why, when. Yes. You know, and you got to get it all in within a very short yeah. time frame. You, you, and you may only have 15 seconds to talk about who, what, why, when. when. Yep. You know, so who, uh, hey, you know, Travis. I want to wrestle you this Saturday because you beat me up backstage earlier tonight, right? Who, what, where, why, when? Yes. Yeah, you know, we. I want a match. That's my what, when, tonight, or Saturday night, or whenever it is. Why? Because you did this, right? And who, you, mm -hmm. uh, and what am I asking for the match, right? So you, you're, you're saying these things, and you've got to somehow still make them artistic, right? Yes. Like, it's still got to be, because you see these, like, you talk about the Ultimate Warrior promos. Super expressive, artistic dude. But made, made, no, made no, sense. no sense. Not at all. <laughs> and, you know, you got to have a combination of both. You know, you look at a guy like Bret Hart, though, you know, who was an absolute master at what he did. You could tell there was a formula to what he's doing. Right. But still knew how to be expressive, still knew how to be a character and emotions and things like that. Again, so you, you got to understand both. It's almost like one of those things. You, If you want to be great at anything, so there's this book. Um, called outliers mm -hmm. and the, the concept of i've heard you talk about this yeah before. the concept of an outlier we're talking about who's an outlier who is somebody who's just the absolute best at what they did you talk about guys like mozart michael jordan mm -hmm. uh you know whoever you want to talk about the great actors the great singers you know how did they become just this outlier talent that like they were head head and shoulders above everybody else well they talk about to be a master of something or a maestro or whatever you want to call it uh, of something you have to spend 10 thousand hours doing it insane and ten thousand hours before you fully can be considered a master of something that you're doing and so you're talking about like mozart well he wrote his symphony at, at 13 yeah but go look at a symphony he wrote at 13 versus the symphony he wrote as an adult it's not the same right like one of these is a very good symphony one of these is a masterpiece yes and so ten thousand hours you talk about wrestling okay well let's say you wrestle one hour on the main weekend in your match maybe you get an hour or two of training before that or whatever uh, on a show, you get two or three nights of practice a week that are each two to three hours. You know, you're talking maybe you're lucky if you get 10 hours in in a week. Yeah. Okay, so what's a thousand weeks? Okay, well, there's 50 weeks in a year. Two years will get you to 120 years will get you to 10,000 hours. Yeah. So obviously, comparing that to wrestling, you hear of most of the guys, they usually don't start picking it as a total of getting the concept and everything till around year 10, year 15, which is yeah. close to that 20 that you're talking about to hit that 10,000. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying there's there's some guys who would be work. great before that. Yes. Um, but, but I'm talking about like to fully understand why you're great, to understand the intricacies of everything you're doing. The nuances. Yeah, you know, you're talking Undertaker or somebody like that, you have 10,000 hours of wrestling time, 20 years when you hit your peak. Yes. And, you know, so for me, I took seven years off, so I'm not even at 10,000 hours. Nah. You know what I mean? And it, but I would even say watching your matches, you yeah. The, the, there's an element, and I and I, I prep for every class I teach, so I put an hour of prep time in at least before every class. So you could argue that that's that, that's ten thousand hours. But regardless, I don't consider myself a master of what I do. Right. I have a very good grasp of what I do and why I do it. 
I probably know more holds than the average wrestler because I teach the holds. Yes. And I teach them every week over and over again. Whereas when I wasn't a teacher, you know, I would do a hold and it might be a year before I did that same hold again if it never came up in a match, right? Right. So you're, to, to be great at what you do, you'd have to be doing it three or four nights a week and doing it on the weekends uh, to, to put it in 10,000 hours. Now, I'm not, like I said, I'm, in no way am I trying to imply that I'm a master of wrestling. Uh, I'm just trying to express what it would take to be a master of wrestling to right. fully understand how a match works. Because I, I look, I botch matches all the time. Like I have matches, I go, I thought that was going to be good, and it wasn't. The analytical side of my brain immediately goes to work. Yeah. What did you screw up? How could you have made this better? Too much time here. This guy didn't react. You should have explained better how to tell him to sell this, react to this. This just didn't get over. You should have left it, abandoned this, moved on to something else. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and sometimes. You just got to go out there and go, oh, you know what? I'm going to try something completely different tonight, and it may bomb. But if it works, now I've got a new set of data to work with for my analyzing the match. How is it going to work? That's a great way to think of it, and just honestly, it's a great piece of advice for life in general. Hey, you know, I think we're winding down some time here, so I'll ask you a couple more questions. Sure. I know you got to get I know. I talked for a long time. we got one question. Hey, but you know what? It trails off. This yeah, is yeah, how yeah, I yeah, like yeah, this yeah, style yeah. of interview. We just go with it and just see where I'm it takes I'm a talker. Us. I am too, though. It works out perfect. Yeah. So final two questions. Sure. Now that you've been back in wrestling for about three, three years, years, yeah. Do you enjoy this run more than your last? Is it about the same? How do you feel about your work, what you've done, the relationship? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, so I saw a comedian talk once, and it made, it, she made an interesting point. She goes, "You know why your twenties are so fun? It's because you're so stupid, yeah, right? You don't understand all the things you should be worried about and concerned <laughs> with." You just think, oh, everything works out, whatever, you know. Right. And so as you get older, things become less fun because there's more things in your life to worry about. It's harder to relax and have fun, mm-hmm. right? So there's an element that maybe my first 20 years was more fun. I was a single boy and, you know, going out and partying and trying to meet girls and all this stuff, you know, in that first run. And then now I'm older, I'm married, you know, I got, you know, I've got a mortgage. I've got, you know, a job, a company that I run outside of responsibilities. Yeah, so. They suck. Fun sometimes isn't the same thing as it was back then, right. but I do appreciate a good match more, right? And I, I can, I, I enjoy the challenge of, okay, me and this guy got two different styles. He's not very, you know, he's green. Can I pull a good match out of him? How do I guide him through this match? How do I navigate the politics backstage where some guys maybe, you know, some treat me with a lot of respect. Some guys are suspect of me. How do I earn that guy's respect and you know love and attention and focus? And then you know how do I continue to be a role model because I tell these kids things to do in class. Well, I can't go out there and then do the opposite, right? Makes you a hypocrite. Yeah, they make me a hypocrite. So yeah. I can't go out there and say you guys don't do these big splashes on the outside, and then I go do a big splash on the outside, right? Um, well, you hurt your hip when you. Well, yeah, this, I, so. I get hurt, <laughs> right? But you know, how do you earn that spot? How do you earn that dive? You know, not just do it for the sake of doing it, right? Uh, and then I teach these guys less is more, so I got to go out there and show them less is more. Uh, so in that respect, I, I do I enjoy this run more, also because I know I don't know how many matches you get left. You know, when you get to forty, you don't have that many more matches left. Right. You know, so you have to appreciate and make the most out of every single one. So I, I would say the first run was more fun. This one's more meaningful. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, I'm going to end these interviews with the same question that I'm going to ask everybody. We all have been fans of wrestling, probably most of us since childhood. What is your favorite wrestling memory? Oh, man. So I can tell you this. Um, By the way, that can be either watching or Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, okay. Well, I'm gonna go as a fan's perspective. Okay. Right here. okay. As a fan, so I was a kid. You know, I grew up in the '80s. Hulk Hogan. You know, you just had this aura about him. So, and it's not like he, he didn't wrestle that often on TV. And they, you know, it was a treat to see Hulk Hogan. Right. You know, so um, when he, he he became like this thing to me when he turned and joined the NWO. That was the most emotional I ever got, like as a fan. And I knew it wasn't real. Right. But I got emotional about it. I was like, no. No, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it this way, Travis. In 1992, you were too young. You, didn't, you weren't alive. The Gulf, I was alive. The Gulf War happens, right? <laughs> First time America's been at war since Vietnam. Right. You know? And I know Americans. And so I'm a little kid. And I'm nervous. Like, we're going to war? Yeah. So I don't understand war, but I understand war means people have to fight. Maybe they're going to fight here and might have my house. Right. But then I had an ease because I said, ah, we got guys like Stallone and Hogan and Schwarzenegger. <laughs> They'll go beat those guys up, right? Because I've been taught that from movies and stuff. That the 80s taught you well. But, and so knowing Hogan was alive and he was fighting Sergeant Slaughter on TV and stuff gave me peace you know, that I wouldn't have had as a kid. So to see him turn like that was like your hero, the thing that made sense to you. But then like very, very shortly thereafter, I said, no, I love Hogan more than I love good and uh, evil, I right? You. And so I joined as an NWO fan, but not at first. It took me a few weeks to get behind it. <laughs> I was still there for a few weeks. I was hoping Hogan's just laying a trap for him. He's laying a trap for him, and then he's going to turn on him. You kept that hope alive. Yeah, I did. I did. And finally, when I knew it wasn't going to happen, I was like, I'm going to just embrace it, man. <laughs> and so I joined the NWO. I bought the Hogan NWO gear, and I was a bad guy, and bad guys were cool suddenly. I love that. So that maybe as a fan, as a wrestler, my, my favorite moment it. You know, um, the first time they put the big belt on me, nobody told me they were putting the big belt on me. Mm -hmm. They told me it was a non-title match. I remember you told me this. Yeah. yeah. And so when I went over, and then suddenly they asked me as the new champion, that was a cool moment That's because awesome. that was like, not only did you get the respect of, you know what I'm saying, hey, you're ready for the belt, kid, but also that they cared enough to make it they mean more to me. It. Yeah, yeah, they made a rib out of it, which made it mean more because these guys, you know, they had to plan this out, think about it, right. talk about it. Uh, and it meant a lot to me. So, you know, maybe that, that one means something. Um, you know, I, I met uh, my wife through wrestling, so that's i got to include that as a memory. Absolutely. She'll kill you <laughs> if you don't. Yeah, all my wives I met through wrestling. Just, just, just one. Just the one. Just the one. They wife. all happen to live down in Texas. Yeah, see, all my exes live in Texas. That's why I'm not allowed to wrestle in Texas. So. Well, there you go. That's why. Well, Justin, I appreciate you being the first person to take some time from your busy indie schedule today to do this first interview with me. I think we're going to have to do a part two eventually because I think you hey, yeah. talk. We didn't even get into the stories, man. There were no. so many stories. Maybe that's what we do. For All the broken too. noses, broken ankles, yeah. ring rats I broke. We'll get There you go. I heard the ring rats one. That's, we're going to really dive into wait, Justice's wait, personal Wait till they ask you my thoughts on women's wrestling. Oh, that'll man. That'll get some ratings. Joke <laughs> one. Joke number one. <laughs> I was kidding. Right. Just kidding. Inside Don't joke. cancel me. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and all of our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm Travis Fowler, Harkrider, and I will see you all again next time. And remember, keep loving pro wrestling.